What's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Roommates Podcast. It's your boy, Chris, the star of the show here. And guys, ladies, I have a very, very special treat for you all. I am bringing back the all-time, my favorite roommate, Miss Mary Jo Rapini. How you doing? Thanks, Chris. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Man, I'm, I'm so glad to be here with you, sitting here with you. We have... I think our first episode was, what, 2017, 2018? I think so. I know it was in December. It yes. was slightly before Christmas, and I still remember. Exactly. I had to be December 2017. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, our audience loves you. You know, oh, I love thank you. you. Thank you for all the knowledge that you bring to us. So we're going to jump right into it. Yes. What is your current just opinion of the current dating status? You know, have you feel like... Things has gotten better for us or things have gotten worse. And also, how do you feel about, you know, the more influence of podcasts, more influence of influencers, talk about relationships? Just give us your overall opinion. I think more than ever, Chris, what what really it boils down to is you have to be able to self-soothe yourself, self-monitor yourself. You need self-awareness because dating has gotten very complicated. Mm. The good thing is with the last two years of the pandemic, I think it's forced people to talk more, to delay sex, to get to know each other. And really they'd have these in-depth long, long conversations, which I think is all about the old courting, if you will, the old style of dating where you really got to know someone. The complicated part is because of social media, there's just unbelievable infidelity and trusting someone is next to impossible because there's all this emotional cheating, physical cheating, micro cheating. And when you put yourself out there, part of what we know is successful in dating is to be vulnerable. And that's very difficult to do if you're not sure the other person listening to you and whatever they're saying isn't a lie. Yeah, I, I think we have a lot more challenges as um, a society to find mm-hmm. a suitable partner. You know, so with those challenges, how do we as, you know, people that's dating, that's single, that's trying to look for something serious, how can we make better choices or ask better questions or lower the risk of, because, you know, we're being vulnerable. Right. You know, like, you know, men get hurt just as much as women get that's hurt. So right. we both have to be vulnerable, how can we really lower the risk of being hurt again? Well, I think the number one thing is that people have got to know what they value. You know, if you go to dating and your whole idea is, I just want this person to like me, I don't want to be rejected, you're going to get screwed. Mm. Because once you do that, you're able, you will follow, you will go along with someone else's desires and they can lead you down whatever rabbit hole they want to, whatever they're in the mood for. When you know your values, it's kind of a backup or safety net. You already know Okay, when you see someone doing something that's against you, maybe they're treating a service people person rudely, then you can say right away, okay, I know everything I need to know about you now. I mean, I don't need to know anything else. This, you know, this is not in my scheme of what I want for a partner or mate. And you can let go of them and date somebody else. Mm. 
when you're able to sit back and watch people, I think a great question to ask couples, and I do it all the time, is what's your one thing you need to know about a person to, I hate to say it, but to judge them as not being in sync with you. Mm-hmm. Like for some people, that's if they see somebody litter. For some people, that's if they see somebody cheating on their partner or saying something derogatory about their partner in front of other people. For me, one of the main things is the way people treat other people. If I see somebody treat somebody with disrespect, that's it for me. I don't need anything else. I'm not ever going to touch that person. Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. And I think a lot of the problems in our modern dating Mm -hmm. world is they may not know their value. Right. And for those who may not know what their value are, maybe have some identity questions or issues, things like that, how can they build on that? Because if they don't have that, maybe it's not the best choice for them to pursue a relationship. Right. I think the easiest way is to go back to whatever you were raised in in your faith, because faith is the one universal thing that actually builds value in people. It builds value because it reminds you who you are, that you're connected to something greater than yourself. This is one of the things that I really worry about influencers and social media. They build themselves as the source or as their God, and they've given up a lot of their faith. Well, you yourself are so fallible that you cannot You cannot be like the end all and be all. You cannot give yourself value because you're going to have good days and bad days. It's not enough. You need something greater than you to remind yourself who you are and where you come from. Some of us come from great families. Some of us don't. And if you came from an abusive or a chaotic family, maybe a family that wasn't as loving to you, it's going to be harder for you and even more um, important that you align with values that belong to your faith, maybe surrounding yourself with a specific kind of friend, someone who is there for you. Mm. The, The trap for all of us is starting that belief that somebody out there is going to give us our identity or make us feel good when they accept us. And that's just, that's a fallacy. That's a myth we've told ourselves. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I think that one of my questions to Mm -hmm. you is how can people really tap back into the source? You know, a lot of the people that I, I talk to and hear mm-hmm. and, and talk about God with, you know, it's something that, you know, it's church hurt. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go back because of, you know, whatever reason or because another Christian hurt them right. or another, you know, whatever person was in their religion group personally hurt them. So they don't believe in that. Right. Stories. There's so many different excuses of mm-hmm. why they don't want to tap back into the source hands on why they just, you know, believe in their self. I'll just right. take care of it. How can people, you know, get back into the source, even though they feel like they have a justifiable excuse not to do so? 
Right. Well, one of the things that I do is I do like an uh, over COVID, it was an online Bible study. Mm. But there are all sorts of Bible studies and some of them are not church affiliated. Some of them are just online ways. And you can Google and find the one I was doing was called Bible by the Glass. And in the beginning, we met in a saloon. And we had a glass of wine and we shared the word of God. And I learned so much. We were from all denominations. I learned so much about the Bible and how Christ thought about me and how I came to be. And that gave me a confidence. The other thing you can do is not only, you know, tap into faith, but you can tap into nature. When you go out for a hike, you can tell yourself, okay, I'm going to be a prayer warrior. I'm just going to go out in the woods today and I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to pray during this four mile hike or whatever. It has to start with an action that you deem important enough to do. And that takes gumptions. So the most important thing is not to get into this mode. You know, most of us are looking for another person to motivate us. Mm -hmm. You need to start the motivation. You need to be the change. Hundred percent. I, I love. I love that. And we can move on to uh, the part I really want to yeah. talk about, where that person that is meeting someone, they they have their values. Mm -hmm. You know, they're on their purpose. They're yes. on their walk with God. They meet someone, and you know, they start talking, start dating, start courting each other. Right. Um, I first want you to explain the difference between that infatuation. Mm -hmm. stage and feeling mm -hmm. versus the difference between it being actual love and long lasting. I think a lot of um, the modern relationships really start and really hold on to the, the beginning of the right. infatuation stage. And then once, you know, some few months pass away, you know, when things start to get a little rocky, um, that's when you can start seeing or questioning, is this person truly for me? Um, so, how can we make sure that doesn't happen more as a society? Right. Well, the number one thing I would say is prolonged sex. Mm. And people don't like to hear that, but it's so important because when you bring sex into a relationship too soon, you actually stunt the ability for it to go long lasting. The infatuation or lust stage, you know you're in it when you desire that person nonstop 24-7. Like you want to be around them all the time. You want, you love the way they look, you love their body, you love sex with them. And at that point, you would do anything for them. I mean, you're secreting hormones that actually cause that to happen. When you're having sex, you just want more and it continues on and on that way. So what you need to do, that can turn into love, but it's important that you identify what is going on. And when you're feeling that, if you can talk to your partner at that time and say, listen, I really like you and I I see a possible future with you if you can do that. Mm -hmm. Then at that point, make like, make a rule between the two of you. You know, let's see what we can create. Let's try to do something that's going to help the relationship. And I think also when it's lust or infatuation, 
all you care about is pleasing that other person. And that's a sign right there that it's not true love. Because true love wants the relationship. It sees the relationship as an entity. So true love doesn't try to make your partner happy. It tries to do what is right for the relationship. In a sense, you, you leave yourself to feed the relationship. And this is, people go, well, I want them to desire me. I want it all about me. And, it, I, you know, like I want to be loved most. No, you want your partner to love the relationship, what they're helping create between the two of you. That's where the strength is. And that comes from emotional connection. I have I have so many questions. You know, mm -hmm. I think as a society, and I'm not trying to be like, I'm just doubting right. everyone, but, you know, we are a very hypersexual society. Right. You know, so how can those conversations really penetrate, you know, the, mm -hmm. the relationship to the point where, okay, we understand that we need to prolong sex. How can we make sure that happens so we can actually build something? Because nowadays it's kind of like women and men, it's kind of required almost. Right. It's expected. Exactly. Day so it's kind of like if, if women expect to do it and men expect to receive it, mm -hmm. it's kind of like how can we really manage that?
Well, and I think it's very difficult, but I think first of all, we have to talk with our partner about the pressure that men are feeling with sex too. Because if, if a guy doesn't try to make the moves on you the first night, many times women feel rejected and they'll start saying things like, what's the matter? Is he gay? Did he just not like me? Um, do, am I not his type? Does he have problems with his mother or whatever? And th these are these are the faults or the myths that happen when guys don't come right out and say, claim their space. Like, I, I want a relationship that I think is going to be long term. And yet I know if I have sex with you, it will stop there. The emotion You'll develop a little bit stronger, but the sex will become the fix-it for all problems. Mm. And sex isn't the fix-it. Being able to talk about it and resolve issues is how you stay married, happily married, for a long time. Yeah, I believe you. Uh, I think also as well with the emotional connection mm -hmm. component, that is the piece that a lot of, you know, people miss, especially if sex is involved. Right. You know, so how can we develop the emotional connection with our partner outside of sex? Um, because we don't want the sex just to be the, the main dish and course of the relationship. You know, it should be a seasoning. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. Exactly. Well, you know, I think that th doing things together, like, um, you know, planning dates, that aren't centered around laying around, watching Netflix, setting yourself up, if mm -hmm. you will. If it's much better to do things like let's go on a let, let's go on a hike and a picnic, or do things that are out of the ordinary. Let's go to a wine tasting, or you know, instead of a a concert where you're all going going to be sharing a house and a bedroom. Think of things that could end with you each being in your own space. Mm. I think that's really important. There's like six different forms of intimacy. And sex is only one of those. There's the intellectual intimacy, like what you share intellectually. Try to focus on those on dates. Like if one of you are really into astrology or astronomy, whatever that, you know, go to like the McDonald observatory um, together. If it's, if it's intellectual, if it's experimental, try new things that are new experiences to have together. There's also just a very emotional one where you lay together and you, you can have, you know, just lightly you know, loose clothes, and you can just lay in bed and talk and talk about your childhood, talk about what, where you see yourself, where you see your vision, things like that. There's also just the one about, you know, enjoying adventures together. Do the two of you go out and have adventures? Are there exciting, are there things you're looking forward to, planning? These are all forms of intimacy to really anchor in the emotional intimacy. When people tell me, you know, we dated and now, you know, we've had sex and it's good, but I've just lost interest. It means they know nothing about, they haven't been curious. They, they know very little about each other. Mm, mm, mm. And how do people be able to recognize if they have lost interest in someone? 
I think a lot of times it gets dragged on a relationship. Exactly. People get led on. How can people either identify that better or be honest with themselves and, you know, make hard choices? Well, being honest is really hard because I know so many people that aren't honest. They end up married to this person. Mm. And then when they come in for counseling, they'll actually say, well, you know, it was really sex and everything was really good before we got married. But then we got married and it just kind of dwindled. It's because they got married with the idea that once you're married, now you're solid. Now the two of you are together forever. Nobody wanted to change anymore. Nobody was curious. If you stop being curious about each other, it's going to get, I mean, it's going to get old. It's not going to keep evolving and, and going further. And the other thing that I think young couples especially are making a big mistake, they're not, they're not owning and claiming their own passions. Mm-hmm. Like they've got this, False idea that when you're with someone, you have to do everything together. And there's nothing that will kill a relationship faster than that. Wow. And, I, and I'm glad you touched on that. That was going to be my, my next point. It seems like modern dating is like, it's ownership, basically. Yes. You know, it's like we do everything together. And I think social media plays a part in that as well with these Instagram couples, mm-hmm. YouTube couples, couple reality shows. Yes. So it's kind of like, That is also another factor that's involved that we kind of have to really um, negotiate and deal with in today's society and relationships. So how what what are the reasons why, you know, that ownership or, you know, that complete, you know, given access to people Uh in your life is, is dangerous and can potentially ruin everything? Well, I think as a general rule, the more time you spend together, like If you feel like you have to go everywhere together and you become possessive, you're actually going to smother the relationship. The greatest gift you can give your partner is what I call sacred space. Sacred space is when if they tell you, I want to go out of town this weekend or I just need a couple nights off. I need a couple nights to myself that you not only acquiesce, but you support that and you say, good, good. I I get that. And I'll do some, I'll do whatever you're going to do, whatever she or he is going to do. When you tell your partner that you're giving them the freedom they need to work on themselves or be with themselves or buddies, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're going to be a better partner. And I think a lot of people are scared to say that, scared to be supportive because they don't trust their partner. If you don't trust your partner, then then you might as well just end this relationship. If you don't trust them enough to give them space with you not there, then there is a significant problem in the relationship. And where and where do those problems come from and where do they lie? Because I do think that trust factor is mm-hmm. huge, but nowadays there's men and women looking on social media posts. Right. They're they're yeah you know they're following your social media. They want to check your phone. Right. Asking for locations and things like that. You know. So what is like normal and what's like right. overbearing trust? Where it's like okay, where is the root in this? And we mm-hmm. need to make sure we can fix right. that as well. I think if I think where what it boils down to is it's very important that you guys talk about what would happening happen if one of us cheated 
And then you also talk about how can we protect the relationship, but still allow each other the freedom they need. Because some creative people need a lot more freedom than other people who are maybe, I'm not saying they're not creative, but their passion is in other things. They like making a home or they like doing things like they're more introverted maybe. Maybe those people need more space as far as just to just to ground with themselves. And I think what happens is that I, I have a rule when I'm seeing couples and I look at the most jealous one, the most possessive, and this is normally usually true. The one who is the most jealous is usually the one most likely to cheat. Wow. And they, they usually have in the past or they've had a situation. Sometimes when I ask them that, they'll go, oh no, I was cheated on. But if you go way in their past and you take that apart, and I do know sometimes people are hurt and they've been cheated on, so they always worry that every partner is going to cheat on them. Mm -hmm. I would tell them, then you are carrying a cheating, like you are carrying, you are not letting go of the cheating from the past. You are bringing that into every relationship. And when you do that, you actually do create re cheating in new relationships. Because if you continue to accuse a partner and smother them with your presence, then basically in the end, they probably will cheat. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think you shocked everybody when you yeah. said that. I know you shocked me. Mm -hmm. um, can you go into a little bit more detail on exactly what is the connection pieces of, like you said, that anxiety and worry about someone else cheating? Because it's a verse in the Bible that says, you know, the person can see the speck the yes. little small particle in your eye. So that person can see all the wrongdoing or potential wrongdoing, like the liking the pictures, right. following people, talking to so many things, mm -hmm. like just very small things right. or whatever, right? But also they, they cannot see the log or the right. stick that's sticking out of their own eye. They can't see their wrongdoings, how potentially maybe they're pushing that on their yes. partner or how potentially like they're kind of denying the past and unknowingly allowing that come, you know, present right. in the current relationship. How can people be able to see their own issues, their own problems, their own lack of trust or childhood trauma so they can make sure that they're not pushing that on their partner? Right. Well, I, and that's a really good question, Chris. I think most everything comes down to self-awareness. And the problem is in the middle of a discussion, when your partner brings up, like, let's say your partner were to accuse you of cheating and you don't cheat. So you were to tell them back, you know, I saw you flirting with so-and-so and I would never do that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why you're accusing me of this. Well, at that time, you've put your partner in a mode of defensiveness yeah. and they're, it's never going to get resolved. But I think when the two of you are honest and I tell every couple before the third date, you should talk about infidelity and you should talk about if you're going to be in a relationship together, that it's very important to you that you acknowledge that cheating happens and it happens. It can happen uh, emotionally. Emotionally is just as bad mm -hmm. as physically, maybe worse. Mm -hmm. And 
It can happen all kinds of ways on social media. So as a couple, you would decide, okay, how are we protecting the relationship? It's, it should never be about how, how are you going to protect me and how am I going to protect you? It has to go back to that relationship. Because when you make it about the relationship, both couples get less defensive. And also it gives a, it gives partners something to work for there because let's face it, people get pissed at each other. Like they have fights and they're like, I, you know, I want revenge. I want to hurt him. But do you want to hurt the relationship? It's much easier during fights and conflict if you focus on what's best for that. Yeah. I think that's a perspective that I don't think I ever heard of before. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you're treating your relationship kind of like a business or something yeah. like a separate entity, entity uh, yes, basically. Yes. And more than a business, you're creating it as, you know, like it's, it's, it's a covenant putting, with God. Yes, going, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a covenant. It's a covenant with each other. Mm -hmm. And if you are Christian, then it's going to be a covenant with God. Cause mm -hmm. when you do marry, or if you're married, you're going to share. I mean, he's part of that. Yeah. So it just takes the pressure off of each partner as far as getting defensive or stalling, stonewalling, and it helps it make it about what are we creating? Mm -hmm. Plus, most people want to work on creating something they love being part of. What, are some, what are some great creative pursuits that relationship couples should have? I don't think a lot of them either know or what they can get as a couple or what they can game or, or work towards something. I think a lot of people just understand that marriage is like I have a wife or a husband, right. family, kids, and, you know, I have somebody that I can right. partner with in this hard life that we have on earth. Right. But I don't know if they're necessarily pursuing something or creating something really outside of just money and comfort. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's unfortunate because money is important. Money's the number two reason couples divorce. So I think creating a budget, living below your means so that you can save for a future that you both can partake of. And I know a lot of people have a hard time delaying gratification, mm -hmm. but the greatest joy is when you start seeing, wow, we have saved, like, look how much money we have in this account that we've worked together. It creates more of a cohesiveness in and the relationship bond. and a bond makes you closer. And also boundaries. Boundaries are the number one thing that I see couples getting into problems with. Within relationships, your boundaries have to have to protect the values of the relationship. So defining not only your personal values, but the values of the relationship. Well, we value honesty. We value being able to work through anything rather than working on fixing each other. We're going to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. um, we value letting no other person within our sacred our sacred relationship. Like we will, we will have friends, we will have our parents, we will have families, but the two of you, you and I are in this together. I think um, boundaries about, you know, how you're going to treat kids, how you're going to treat the in-laws, all these things. I, Chris, they're insurmountable. Like mm -hmm. you need those. And forgiveness. Forgiveness is the other thing the two of you have got to work on. When we offend each other, how are we going to ask for, you know, for forgiveness? And 
And when one, one of our partners forgives us, does that mean it's in the past now? Because everybody screws up. I mean, I, my, I've been married forever. I, our, we screw up every day. Mm-hmm. We have bad words at each other. We get stressed. You know, we were traveling yesterday, just coming home. Mm-hmm. We're irritable. But how do we go back and tell each other, I'm sorry, and forgive, you know, forgive each other so that it shines light on the relationship so we could mentor that for other people? Yeah, I, I love everything that you're saying, honestly. Okay. I think that is a huge key to having a successful relationship is that forgiveness mm-hmm. and, to, and to really rebuild um, that trust and creating something mm-hmm. that that is bigger with themselves is is my question to you is also how can we as friends let's mm-hmm. just say you know I, I know someone that's dating somebody uh-huh. they're they're courting they're right. getting to know each other yada 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 maybe I see a red flag or mm-hmm. maybe I see something that you know that person doesn't see or whatever how can you know, us as community of people really hold each other accountable because I do think that a couple themselves being isolated themselves, it will be it's harder. Right. I do think that if if that man or that woman have a community of brothers and sisters mm-hmm. around them that hold each other accountable and leave each other up during a hard time, I think it, it provides greater you know uh, success rate. So how can me as a friend, as a brother, mm-hmm. that that I see a brother of mine dating one, pursuing someone, how can I make sure that they are on the right path and not just repeating the same cycle that we've been going through? Right. Well, I think whatever you do as a community support person, you have to you have to do it for feelings of true love mm-hmm. and concern. And that would mean that both that couple loved you or, mm. or accepted that you wanted the best for them. It's harder when you try to critique or you try to guide or help someone when they feel like you have something against them anyway or something that happened in the past you weren't able to let go of. But I love your idea of community because I do think that's really important. I I think it's really important and hard to hold your partner accountable. Mm. But yet that is the greatest sign of love. One of the standards of love is that you're, you're not a pushover, that you stand up when you hear your partner or you see your partner acting below what you believe they are. Because when you love someone, you believe the best in them. Yeah. And so when you see them acting below that, that you, that you tell them that, you know, you're too good for this. Mm-hmm. How, how did you, you know, where, where is this from? I don't understand. But then also that you don't continue to judge them or flog them with that. And yeah. that's part of that whole forgiveness thing. Yeah, I think that is a magical balance that I know mm-hmm. I need to get better at. Like, yeah, as far as I, like, how can, because I feel like I'm a professional holding myself accountable. Right. Like, I'm a natural moral perspective, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But it's like when I can, when people try to hold their partner accountable, it's like how can you best present it like it's not an attack or like not as an indictment on the character mm-hmm. or it's like not of just a, an assumption you know, mm-hmm. or a, a closed statement or right. something like that. How can we 
held each our partners accountable in a healthy way. Right. And I think that goes back to addressing things when they came up. I just made this video about when your woman is mean to you, because, <laughs> you know, so many of my male patients have told me that the woman they date is so mean to them. Mm. And I think one thing that women um, can get better at, and I know myself, I, I speak loudly, is I think women many times feel inundated with everything. They have, they, you know, they have the babies, they have work, they have the house, and they're, they get resentful because they're still lying under that cloud that somebody who loves them should see them and step in. Mm -hmm. And so they don't use their direct voice. They use passive aggressive voice or they don't say, oh, everything's fine, but it's not fine. And then they want they want whoever they're with, usually their man, to step in and save them. But that doesn't happen. And so time after time, it builds resentment. And so when they give their man critiquing him or criticism, he takes it so personally because it's mean. Yeah. It's mean and it's got a bad tone of voice. And so, and the reason for that is this is pent up. This is pent up miscommunication that was never communicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that is real. I think a lot of men are mm -hmm. in that in that position. And I think it, if, if it was the other way around, we heard about the, the verbal abuse yes. that men had done to women. And right. we've seen it in movies and things like that. But I have known and experienced in uh -huh. my life and experience in either in my friends, like women saying some crazy things to yep. me that it's like intentionally and trying to hurt them and things like that. You know, so for for that guy where it's like, okay, what what should I do if this one if if, if it's just a low moment for her? Mm -hmm. If this something where it's like, you know, maybe she's having an emotional day, it's bad, um, you know, it's 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 just not the norm, you know. Right. Versus, you know, this is something that continuously happens, consistent, it shows up in different ways. You know, what should that guy do if his woman is being mean to him? And vice versa, I'm sure. It's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the number one thing is to acknowledge it, but not at that time. Okay. I think waiting until things cool down and then if that guy will say, listen, can can we talk and find a time when it's quiet and then just if he can, tell her how it makes him feel. Say, you know, when you said that to me the other day, I I don't know where it came from. I wasn't there, you know, before it happened. Most of the time they're not. And I just want you to know that really hurt me because women understand hurt. Mm -hmm. Guys get angry. Women understand hurt. And so if a guy is able to say that really hurt me, or, you know, the way you said that made me feel like you didn't love me anymore. That's the beginning of the discussion. He might not like all the stuff that comes out after that, but unless that's opened, it's just going to continue to fester and it wounds, it just continues to wound her and make her more bitter. And, and that's going to come out on her man. Yeah, and I think the man, if he continues to hear those things, and he probably balls up inside of me. Mm -hmm. I think he's a volcano waiting to explode. I do yeah. too. And <laughs> and then what happens is he doesn't he doesn't feel supported by society yeah. to show that soft side and to say, 
you know, tell me about this. Like, what, what is going on? It hurt my feelings. If a guy can say that really hurt my feelings, we would see communication completely change in the United States. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, most yeah. guys are conditioned not to do that. And I don't know why, because to feel feelings is part of the human condition. It doesn't mean you're weak or soft. It just means you're honest because stuff hurts. Yeah, I mean, we you would think that, but I mm -hmm. think just what, especially men and I know just the neighborhood I grew up in, you, yeah, even huh? as black men, it's like, it isn't deemed frowned upon to show your emotions right. the same way, especially even like on the football field. You know, yeah. it's yeah. even little things like that. You know, so we are naturally conditioned not to share those feelings. And they may feel it. A lot of guys don't even know how to express it. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. I think, and, and since they don't know how to express it, that's when they start coping with stuff. Mm -hmm. Alcohol, drugs, right. you know, things like that. And I do believe that, you know, as the man, you do cre create the environment of a yes. relationship that is a safe, you know, place. You know, it's a peaceful place. It's a place that you can communicate. You mm -hmm. can be honest. You can be trustworthy. You can be vulnerable. Women have to create that same space for the man as well. Right. You know, I think that sometimes if that space is not created for the man and it's not as open and it's not as, you know, frowned upon and looked down upon or, or he feels weak for sharing because mm -hmm. I, there's been times where men have shared some stuff and have regretted it because it was thrown back in their face yeah. or was used against them in an argument or whatever the case may be because, you know, that really fractures our ego. And a lot of times that's why men don't share either because it's just protection. Yep. And I have had guys actually tell me that. But you bring up a really important point, Chris, that, that safe emotional space within a relationship. A relationship cannot exist without that. So if you really, like a lot of women will tell me, he just won't open up. And then I'm in a session with him. And I see why. Because when he <laughs> opens up, she's like, what? What are you saying? That's not even true. And all over him. He can't even talk. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that is not what's considered an emotional safe space. You need a space where there's no judgment, where you're just able to tell somebody your absolute truth. And they still love you. They're not, they're not using sex as a weapon. They're not using the silent treatment. They use their words and they say, you know what? I didn't know you felt that way, but you know, no matter what, I love you. You, you are mine and feelings come and go. How you feel one day may not be how you feel tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. And speaking of feelings, <laughs> yeah. how do, how do people be able to identify when to, when to whether or not continue the relationship or in the relationship. Um, I feel there's there's a lot of people, and even just talking around, mm -hmm. just meeting people, that they just in this kind of just twilight zone or just going through the motions and not really knowing or, you know, how they really feel or what they want to do with mm -hmm. their partner or whether they should even continue on with their partner. What are some signs where it's like, okay, this is some signs where you should continue to push forward. Okay, if you are dealing with these things, then this may be the sign where y'all might need to step back. 
Right. Any emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, time to move back. I think if you guys are having conflicts every night, mm. time to step back. I think if you are being dishonest or you've caught one person being dishonest, it's time to step back. What I'm doing now with clients is I'm saying, we're going to create a pause, like a break. And when people are unsure and they're feeling just kind of like numb, they're going through the motions and there's a wedding maybe even in the in the works or an mm. engagement, man, I really am encouraging them to just take a relationship break. A relationship break is two to four weeks. You don't you don't date other people during that time. You may talk on the phone. You can set up rules about where you're maybe gonna go out once a week or you know maybe once every two weeks. But basically, it is a relationship break to get your stuff together. And during that time, I ask them to write down the pros and cons of the relationship, what they love about what they're creating, what they don't love about what they're creating with this person. And then I ask them to identify three things within themselves they would have to change to make this relationship better. Wow. And if they're not willing to change them, then that pretty much will tell you Everything okay. you need to know. Everything you need to know. Man, I'll, man, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are so good at that. Um, I think that's um, a beautiful exercise. And, uh, and how important do you believe in premarital counseling as well? I think premarriage counseling, when you are officially engaged, mm -hmm. then I think that is like, I, I can't even tell you. I think it's the most important thing. I... Anybody I know who's getting married that's close to me and I get a wedding invite, that is my gift to them. I send, I, I'm a big believer because people are now cohabitating. They don't understand that in a traditional marriage, the first two years are setting up your marriage style. So when they move in together, they're basically circumventing that precious time in a marriage and they're they think they're creating that style at that time, but they're not because they're not really committed to each other. Being married is another level of commitment. Like now I'm sharing your name. I'm sharing your flesh. I'm going to have your babies. That's a whole nother level of commitment than living together. So when they do that, they live together. They bring into a marriage, if they do get married, a lot of sloppy habits. Mm. Because when you're not committed to a person, you treat them different than when you do when you're married. And you may be, you, you might not treat them like your queen or like, you know, the wife or husband that they deserve to be treated like. Because they're not that yet. Yeah. So I think it's so important that um, you get pre-marriage counseling and that as much as possible, you do not live together. After you get engaged, if you decide, okay, now we're going to live together because it's convenient, we can save money, that's another thing. But if you're just moving in, people say, well, I want to get to know them better. That's a terrible... The only thing you're going to get to know is, you know, what time they get up in the morning, how they brush their teeth, you know, how they look... I mean, you don't find the essentials because at that point... Unless, you're, unless your partner has poor boundaries, 
they're not going to share all that with you. So you don't believe that it is it is wise to move in with anyone that you're not engaged to be married. Right. If they're if you're just moving in as buddies, no, I don't think it is. I'm, it's so common nowadays. I know. And it's kind of like a lot of even with the sex before marriage, they want to test drive it. Right. You know, they want to see what the the package comes with. Right. That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and I think people feel the same way about uh, so cohabitating living together. Mm-hmm. If I can't be compatible with this person, you know, in the same like building and room, how am I going to be compatible with them in marriage? Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people ask themselves that question. So to those who feel that way, what do you say? Well, what I say is it's much better. And part of the marriage style that the two of you are going to create, if you learn that after you're married, I I think a lot of people um, say that because they think of it as a safety net. Some people say, well, I'll always have somebody to go out with. They're my best friend. It saves us money. Well, then marry them. If they're all those things, then then marry them. But before you marry them, get counseling. I also think it's for people who aren't sure what they want. And that makes me nervous because out of cohabitation, a lot of really things happen. People penetrate. You know, you know first the, of all, if it breaks up, it's going to be okay, everything's going to be miserable about yeah. that, and you're going to carry that baggage into another relationship. If it doesn't because break up and you go on to like get married, I hear more fights about from yeah, couples yeah. So it's like who are fighting it, about it, what happened before they ever even got married. So they're comparing it. And thirdly, there's always a chance you could have a child in that union. And what happens if you do? From there, do you end up getting married? And what if one person felt feels resentful about that? Like, well, they wouldn't have married me if I hadn't got knocked up or, you know, or she trapped me. I've heard both scenarios. So what I say is when when you find someone that you believe will make a good life partner and forget about love for a second, forget about, you know, any of these infatuation ideas you have, can you work with this person? This is the question we should ask people because marriage is really about resolving issues, working together, sharing the load, being there for each other, being each other's main support system. Like I, you know, the first person I ever call when something happens to me is my husband. And he, and I'm the first person he calls. And we we developed that in a marriage. Now, I didn't yeah. do it right. Like uh, I got, I, I was dating for six well months and then we got married and I was so terrified because I was really young and I didn't you think know, I was necessarily ready. So he you know, told so me in two years, if you don't love me more, because he was really sex, ready and um, he was really sure, I the then we will, we will end this marriage. And because of that clause, I felt safe being in it. And in that two years, I started falling madly and more deeply in love with him. And after four with the birth of our first child, I just couldn't imagine my life without him. Because marriage takes growth. The worst times of marriage are the first two years. And that and if you live together, 
it's it's not only the first two years, it's the first six years. So, I mean, I know people say all kinds of stuff, but statistically, when you look at the records and you live together first, the marriages have trouble. Unless you moved in when you were engaged, because you see the difference is the commitment, the intention is set. That's what has to happen. No, I, I think it's I think it's beautiful what you're saying because even just looking at you know my family, mm-hmm. my friends, and I'm sure a lot more people. I think one of the generational curses that I know that I recognize is that people marry the wrong person. Yes, and when they marry the wrong person, that leads them to do things that just cope. Right. They probably change. They probably just adapt and become a whole different person. Right. You know, drugs, alcohol, that could be abuse and things come out of that. So, like, it's like, I'm trying to make it a mission where people understand and have the ability to understand that the most important, one of the most important decisions in your life is the person that you're going to marry. Right. So it's like getting that right the first time. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and really being, understanding that and taking that seriously and seeing how the relationship that's surrounding you, you know, childhood, family, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, you know, if, if they are miserable, not happy, or complaining, unhealthy, you know, and they, if you see a common pattern of them picking the wrong person, it's like I want the people that's listening to really take that on and take that seriously because if you do pick the wrong person, mm-hmm. I think it does open up a lot of doors for a lot of unhealthy stuff that could come in your life. And also breeding kids in that environment yes. it causes a lot of you know kids to be you know grown adults and now they've grown hurt kids and now these grown hurt kids are now dating people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And Chris, you brought something up in the very beginning about, you know, dating and how important is it to know yourself. The most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. And that relationship dictates every relationship. So I have never met anybody who got with the wrong person who mm. was who was unaware or aware, self-aware of themselves and likes themselves. So what I'm going to tell anyone listening is if you want to be pretty sure you choose the right person, make sure you are completely okay with yourself. Like make sure you have a good relationship with yourself. If you're carrying hurt and pain and grief and bitterness, See a therapist before you start looking for a partner because you will find a partner who will make sure you will be more bitter, more pain in pain, less trusting and everything else. If you haven't healed those those wounds, because we automatically attract someone that we think can put a Band-Aid on them and a Band-Aid eventually rips off. Mm. Mm. So it's really, really important that people do their homework and they see a therapist. If there's something they don't understand about themselves or they don't like about themselves before they date. Gotcha. And and last conversation, um, how do people be able to recognize when they are ready to date? 
That's a great question. <laughs> I think you're ready to date when you feel confident in your ability to be honest, when you feel that there's nothing you need to keep a secret, mm. when you feel like you're a trustworthy person and you can trust others, and when you feel like you want to share your life with another person. If you have tendencies towards selfishness, don't don't get in a relationship. That's the number one killer. Selfishness is that's something you can work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. And do you? I just had a question okay. pop in my head. Do you feel like with the culture that it is today, mm-hmm. the influencers? Do you feel like the bridge between men and women understanding themselves, uh, communicating, really? you know, coming closer to to bridge the gap between this, you know, misconception that we have? Or do you feel like it's breeding more hatred and more further, like women being more teen women and more pro women and men are being more pro men, you know, and it's kind of separating or do you feel like it's it's, it's coming together? I think people who are hurt, Mm -hmm. the, the young people who are hurt are moving further apart. I think the people that are pretty much at peace with themselves and especially the younger people are moving closer together. The generation that I think is the furthest apart is our parents' generation. Mm. I think that those men want our, many of them are misogynistic. They, They want women in a certain space, a certain place. And they don't want to give, they don't want to be a partner. They want to be taken care of. Mm. And this has really pulled at the sexes. I mean, women are at a point, older women especially, where they're like, I am not taking care of him. I know more single women by choice than I ever have in my life. But it's mostly in that age group of 40 to 60 plus they just don't. And if they got a divorce, they, there is nothing they want with another man. Do you feel like that number would grow as my generation gets older? I, I hope not. Mm. I think that your generation is getting more and more aware of what women need from a partner. And I think, yeah, I think overall, I think women and men are starting to understand a little bit more. I do think women feel like they are still carrying the majority of the load. They feel like they put in, you know, 80% effort and the guys put in 20% because they don't have to because social media is there and and there's guys just looking for sex and they're going to partake of it and they don't want a committed relationship. And women for the most part, want a committed relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to uh, convert more men that wants to, that wants to be in committed relationships. Well, you know, most guys that I see, um, it, because I'm seeing more like guys 45 to 60, they want that. In fact, we know health-wise that if you don't have that, it kills men. This is one of the reasons men die earlier Wow! because they don't have that depth of intimacy. Guys, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of rhetoric that all men want is sex. But 
Guys can guys will make it without sex from a partner. They cannot make it without emotional intimacy. Mm. They need to know they have someone to talk to, someone who will accept them, someone who who really loves them. Cheer them on, support yeah, them. Somebody that cheers them on. And I think that's a very healthy sign. Because if you think about it, guys don't go to other guys usually and say, man, I just need somebody on my side. I need, you know, they don't get that love and affection from other guys. Usually they get it from their woman. Yeah, exactly. And and if she pulls that back, Women will stop having sex with a guy. He'll go somewhere else. But for a guy to get true intimacy is much more difficult. And they are much, men are very selective with that. Women say, well, they'll take anybody. They won't. Wow. Why do you think that's a misconception? Because I think a lot of women do believe that they'll just take anybody. Yeah, I I think it's a misconception because I think when it comes to sharing, sharing their penis, yes, they'll do it with anybody. (laughs) Sharing their heart, no. No. They're very selective. Exactly. And they put women through the same tests as women put men through. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Mary Jo, I, I was blessed by this conversation. Oh, me too. I, I think that, you know, you are just a rock star. Honestly. Well, you know? thank you, Chris. <laughs> I feel like I'm just so fortunate to be able to see you and be call myself your friend. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. I think, yeah. you know, just the, the way that we both have grown. Um, it's just it's true a blessing to have you in my life and I Thank greatly you. appreciate you, you know, sharing this with me, you know, sharing this with my audience as well. Well, thank you. You know, so for those who want to thank you, where can they find you? Well, the easiest way is my <laughs> website, yes. um, MaryJoRapini.com, but I also have Instagram, Mary Jo Rapini, and my YouTube channel, which is Mary Jo Rapini, <laughs> but it's called Reaction Reset. And so Make I, sure you all subscribe to yeah. our YouTube channel. Yeah. 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 Y'all already know it's going to be nothing but gold if you listen to Mary Jo Rubini. Yeah. Um, so you. make sure y'all reach out to Mary Jo. Let her know what you all have learned, how she has blessed you all with her very, very beautiful words. Chris has started show here. And I am joined by Mary Jo Rubini. And we'll see you all next week. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Chris. Thank you so much. It was the beautiful. Best. Thank you so much. It was so beautiful.